More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we speak to Joseph Riley, Family Office Advisor and Director of the Inheritance Project, a platform that allows inheritors to explore the emotional and social impact of wealth through the experiences of others. We talk to Joseph about the often overlooked problems associated with wealth and strategies and tools that allow inheritors to generate positive outcomes with their legacies. Enjoy this episode with Joseph. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice. I'm very pleased to be joined here today by Joe Riley Jr. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's talk a little bit about yourself and how come you are just passionate about this topic. So you officially call yourself a family office consultant, but tell us a little bit more about where that expertise comes from and how you managed to end up in this field. My background was in actually in the commodity business, but I had known a wealthy family and I helped them to set up and start a family office about 20 years ago. And I thought that it would be very straightforward and easy that it would just be sitting down and setting up an investment office. You just get some Bloombergs and you get some smart people and uh, you get a tax attorney and off you go. Uh, but of course, it was a, a lot, a lot more complicated than that. And it was uh, very quickly realized that the challenges were not only handling the amount of information that the markets throw at you, but you also have to deal with a family. It's also complicated because working in a family office can be very isolating. And you also had to be very uh, protective of the family's privacy and confidentiality. You didn't go walking around town saying that you worked for a family office. So that made getting information very complicated. And information is the coin of the realm in, in finance. You need to know what people are looking at, what people are thinking about interest rates, what, who are good managers, how can I get into uh, startup investments, et cetera. So you need to build those networks. And most folks are not prepared for that. What kinds of family dynamics emerged for you early on where you were like, okay, these are exactly the kinds of things we need to try to avoid when trying to build a successful single family office. I think it'd be very helpful to understand that a little bit more. I think anybody who starts to work in the wealth space, and that, that's not just family office, but it's also wealth management, they really have to examine, first of all, their own assumptions about what wealth is like. And you also have these attitudes around the people's responsibility to society, people's responsibility to their own family that you probably have never examined. You also are often put in a, a strange position where you're not really clear on where the authority rests in the family. And sometimes it's actually hard to tell which generation uh, the authority resides in. You definitely don't want to get too immersed in these problems, but there are ways that you can ask questions and there are ways that you can get the family to start sharing stories so that maybe they themselves can get on the same page. There's a burden to that kind of wealth. There's a burden to being born into the jam jar. And so I just wanted to ask you maybe to specify a little bit more, like what kind of a burden do you face when you're faced with that kind of an inheritance, like psychologically speaking? The burden, it tends to manifest itself in fairly obvious ways. The main one that you hear the most is the isolation, is the fact that you feel 
different and separate from other folks. And that has its own pathology. And so if your parents think that there is something very special about your family and that you are very different, again, the paradox is that that, you know, that might not necessarily help you find your own purpose in life. The three big things that you see is family, love, and work. You have to deal with complications of, of not only just having a family, but you also have this fortune that, that also affects and has a sort of a, a magnetic pull on all of the relationships within the family. The love is, is finding a spouse. And also, I would say the, the subset of that is friends. And the other one is work. And you can think of that as purpose as well, is finding meaningful work in your life. The idea that you want to live in that jam jar or that you want to live in a bubble or, or, or just live on a cloud is not satisfying. You talked a lot about the isolation. I was just wondering whether facing an inheritance or being part of an inheritance today is different than it was before, simply because of the way our society today communicates. Do you feel the isolation has become less because there's more access to this? It has had obvious, tremendous positive effects. This massive global experiment that we're involved in has had huge benefits. There's definitely no point in just seeing this as a negative development because it is a development. It is happening. It has happened, in fact. So you were talking about like three dimensions, family, love and work. What is it that parents do or like that families can do to create like immediately the kind of environment that does not make this into, you know, like a negative experience for the next generation? Well, the first thing is open communication. And that definitely has changed. You know, you can't pretend to your kids, your kids can Google you. And so those particular values around money, the fact that you cover that up within the family and the fact that you pretend that your children will just kind of figure it out for themselves and, well, I'll just wait and give them the money when they're 35. And by then they'll be emotionally and financially, they'll have the financial education and pre preparation to handle that is simply not the case. You certainly don't want your kids to end up aimless and, and decadent. And the way to prevent that is to start them off early with a financial education. We're experiencing a pandemic world. We're experiencing a world that is uh, confronted with dramatic climate change. So there seems to be a lot on the agenda, both philanthropic and impact investment-wise, for inheritors of wealth in the next few decades. Where do you start like, to find that sort of direction that you know, your wealth utilization should take? Like, Do you have any tips there for, for our listeners? One of the problems you see a lot, especially with, and, and it's covered in the, the Inheritance Project, and you certainly see it in, in wealthy families, is a feeling of guilt, is money that, that's unearned, and the feeling that they, in many cases, will actually try to avoid it and try to hand it off to other folks to, to manage it or pretend that they don't have it. That can be very overwhelming. And this is often the reason that folks, I, I hear folks, inheritors say that they feel guilty. And that's what that guilt is. It's the idea that you're not actually engaging with the challenges of your life. So in the past, the, the old money trope was, it's my duty to give back as a person of privilege. But the uh, millennials, to some extent, have flipped it around so that the first order of business is to do something that you actually believe in. It's very good to support your, your community. It's very good to write those checks. It's very good to support the, the opera and the boys club. But people also want to see real innovation for the, the big problems of the world. And they want to change basically how they give and how engaged they are with it and not what they're giving to. 
And that's a, a very positive thing. So the going forward, as we said before, there's a lot of big challenges to our society that we're facing. So technology is the big one, isn't it? Like, especially when you think about the, the, the direction investments are taking and how wealth can actually be created now. If you look at the crypto, crypto development, for instance, or anything that comes from the blockchain, do you see that as more of a threat or more of an opportunity? Like, you know, how do you see that shaping sort of also the opportunities that we have with wealth in the future? The crypto conversation, I mean, that's a huge, huge topic. In a very short period of time, we've actually seen an entire financial industry sprout up on the, the foundation of, of, of crypto. And no one's had to ask for any permission and no one has had to, you know, go through committees or spend years getting tenure or moving up in the organization. They just decide, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to start a, a I'm going to start a bank on the blockchain. And, you know, three days later, they have one. It's incredibly, incredibly encouraging to see how quickly the innovation has happened in that space. How does that affect wealth in the future? Who knows? The crypto billionaires and crypto multimillionaires are so nascent that it's kind of hard to get a bead on, or even if it's worthwhile getting a bead on, what is this generation like? It used to be that money was so it took so long to make money. And, and certainly the, the family business world is, is such a great way to look at that because the whole point of passing on the family business was this was hard. This took a long time. I started with a little, I had a cart and now I have a dry goods store and I'm holding on to it with both hands. And if you were a smart son or daughter, hopefully, you know, you would be able to, to take it on and give it to your kids. The idea that private equity was going to knock on the door and, and buy it out from under you. And suddenly, you know, you're, you're on a very cushy heap, but you suddenly lost it, the purpose of your life. So we've had the dot-com fortunes and we certainly had the web 2.0 fortune. So we have some idea. We're still, kind of, I think the dot-com fortune was such a, fortunes were so interesting because they spawned the web 2.0 and they've spawned everything since then. And we have some kind of a, an idea of what these folks are like. And what, of course, what's interesting about almost all of these folks is that they stay involved. In many cases, when you, when you visit with these family offices, it's so fascinating because most of their fortunes are actually invested in very safe places, but there's a cutting edge that is involved in the companies that they either sit on the boards of or running or are starting. And the fact that this money just immediately gets recirculated into the economy is incredibly encouraging. It doesn't get socked away. It gets engaged with the people who are actually enacting the change. So you don't, if you had a successful crypto firm, you know all of the other successful folks in the crypto space. You can all invest with each other. And you can also, what's really encouraging, especially about the dot-com fortunes and the crypto fortunes, is there's this immediate, immediate need to give back. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's very exciting as far as 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, will we go to Newport, Rhode Island and see giant mansions built by crypto billionaires? I don't, I don't know. We don't know uh, if it's multi-generational. Absolutely. We don't, we don't know that yet. It's too soon. You're right. Absolutely. Well, that's something I think you had sent me a question, which is great. And, and another great topic is the way that attitudes towards wealth have changed. And the, another one that has changed so quickly that it's, it's really surprising even to look back 15 years is this idea that I'm going to give all my money away while I'm alive. Now, that would have been a very, very radical idea 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Again, if you make the fortune, if you have the family business, you do not let go of it. 
And certainly that attitude and the dynastic attitude persists. And that provides a certain ballast in society. But there is this new movement towards the idea that I'm going to try to give away as much money while I'm alive. And while I can not only just giving it away, but I'm going to be involved in it. Bill Gates didn't just give the money to some professionals and walk away. That was what the Ford Foundation was like. And the Ford Foundation was cutting edge in its time that the family decided one of their motivations was to keep control of the Ford Motor Company. But uh, at the same time, the, the philanthropic impulse finds a way. But with the Gates Foundation, he's involved. He's very, very involved in what he does. That's a, a pattern that you should that you should emulate and can emulate. Now, the underside of that and the thing that we're not talking about here is that implies that, and, and you've certainly seen Warren Buffett talk about this a lot, that implies that the money is inherently corrupting to your children. The fact that I'm going to give, I'm not, my kids aren't, I'm going to give them a million dollars. I'm worth $50 billion and my kids are going to get a million dollars. And, you know, I, I, you know, believe that when I see it, but the, the reality is, is that the, the implication is that, that there is no way that children can inherit substantial fortunes and thrive. And believe it or not, the story that really comes out of the inheritance project is that's not true. You can adjust to it. You can raise healthy children in affluence. You can raise healthy children, uh, even with substantial wealth. Uh, and and it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not going to be a walk in the park and it's not going to be easy, but there are a lot of common sense things that you can do. Um, and, and obviously one of them is to overcome the, the money taboo, encouraging children to work. And of course, the, the attraction of, of steering the course, right? Like across several generations as well, having that opportunity that a family across generations sees eye to eye as to what is supposed to be happening with the wealth, as you said, especially when it comes to philanthropic efforts, will yield more interesting results. And then thinking of the impact it can have on, on like, you no know, far reaching things uh, like, you know, reforestation projects that sometimes take decades to show the benefits, et cetera, right? Like, and to keep wealth inside the same family that's that shares those values and shares the importance of those projects can, of course, be the only way that such projects actually ever see their real impact or the, the real success that they can potentially have. You're absolutely right. What does it imply about the trust that we have in our children or in the next generation to be able to wield the, the wealth with the same level of responsibility or vision? Yeah, well, it's a terrible thing to tell your children that you can't handle this and you're not going to have any of it. That's not the way that you develop a healthy attitude towards money. The real old time wisdom about wealth was the idea that you're building responsible stewards and that you're creating the next generation of leaders. And I would, it would be a real shame if we lost that. I think that's incredibly important. I think when folks ask me, I, I certainly get asked quite a bit about the inheritance project or, or these families. If you're talking to people, well, you know, heirs feel guilty and they, they have struggles and challenges in their lives. And of course, the, the first thing folks say is, well, that's, those are good problems to have. And, you know, why should the, the general public care about that? And it, these people end up in leadership positions. The idea, it's certainly one of the deep threads of education, at least here in America, has been the, the education of the next leadership class, so to speak, and the next leadership group. And the idea that you would if you have this potential in your family, if you have this possibility that you should cultivate leaders in the next generation and you should encourage people to take on those roles and you wanna provide them with the tools that they need in order for them to do that. 
Joe, thank you so much for joining us today on the Family Business Voice for a most interesting conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.